This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor David Kogel. Hope everyone got a picture today, a sheet of the Valley of Jezreel. Valley of Jezreel was a beautiful picture I found of that. Really shows you how fertile that land is. And we'll talk about that and where it's located. A lot of interesting things around the Valley of Jezreel and the, the city of Jezreel. So it's, a, I believe, would be a good study. As I put there, it's a beautiful farmland. They do a lot of different things there now as far as wheat, cotton, corn, sunflowers. Of course, they herd sheep there and the cattle graze there. But uh, as far as the city of Jezreel, which is located right there next to it, that has a long, violent history of things that took place in that, and we'll talk about those as well. I do like to kind of give you geographically where this is located. I think what's so uh, wonderful about going over there to the Holy Land and being in, in these different areas is that you can be in one certain close area and just, just outside of that or just down the road a ways or just over here a ways, though we pick up the stories in the Bible, things that happened at these particular places and there they are. So it, it is very, uh, very interesting and makes your Bible really come alive, being able to go into these places and see these different things. As of before, the, many times these valleys will be uh, a name given in biblical times, even before uh, Christ, they may have named that area something else. Then as years go by, they come up with another name and put it with it and so forth. So I, I don't want to try to confuse you about that, but... Uh, we do see, you will see different names as you go along. In fact, like this Valley of Jezreel, um, it is also called, the whole thing is called the Plain of Estrelon. And it connects in with different uh, names like the Valley of Megiddo, Plain of Megiddo, all those different things as well. Now, it lies on the northern side of the ancient city Jezreel. And it is between the ridges of Gilboa and Moriah. And it's an offshoot of Estrion running east to the Jordan. And so uh, I think I remember we talked about in one of the other valleys uh, about Gilboa. We mentioned that place as well. But it is a very beautiful farmland now. Now, during the ages, this name, uh, Valley of Jezreel, it extended to the whole plain. And so when they looked that down that whole plain, they called that, of course, the Estrialon. And it was only on this uh, plain here of Jezreel, you'll read back in, in the Old Testament, that the Canaanites came in that area and they had chariots. And this was the only place they were able to run those chariots through this particular area. So they used that as a passageway going through there as well. Um, that city of Jezreel is located on a low hill and it overlooks this uh, southern edge of the valley. 
Now, what does the word Jezreel mean? It means from Hebrew, God sows. God sows. And so, uh, no doubt, God sowed some things in that particular area that came to pass. These things came and, 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 and they took place there. And so, the, the phrase, Valley of Jezreel, was sometimes used to refer to the central part of the valley and around that city there of Jezreel on that southern west portion. And it is also known by many as the Valley of Megiddo and uh, the ancient, because of the ancient city of Megiddo. And we'll probably get into that down the road as well. But this valley, I found this very interesting because you know when you think about going over there to Israel, I remember when we went, I believe we landed there in the airport that is right next to the Mediterranean Sea or close to it. And that was a beautiful, beautiful sea there overlooked that Mediterranean Sea. Now, when you think about some of these things that came to pass, that this valley actually acted at one time as a channel because the Mediterranean Sea would flood. And then when it would flood, it would, it would flow down, water down through this valley. This is long ago here. And it would flow down through there, and then that flowing would actually connect to the Sea of Galilee. And then the, we find that it would continue on and ultimately uh, even go to the Dead Sea. But then as time went by, the, the ground began to, to rise some, things began to move and change and so forth, and so what would happen, it cut that water off. So that water no longer flowed through there, no longer went to the Sea of Galilee, and no longer went to the Dead Sea. So, of course, we know the Dead Sea became cut off from that water coming in, and it began to be filled with saline, and many people call it the Salt Sea. And you've probably seen pictures of where people go out and and we actually got to go out and walk out in there. You go out in that salt dead sea, and there's so much there, it's very easy to just float right on top. And of course, a lot of people uh, go out and use that for medicinal purposes and, and, uh, and, and so forth. But it's a big thing for people to go out and go into that as well now. Uh, however, the, the uh, Sea of Galilee is freshwater in that now. And so... Um, those, those are, it's just amazing how things change and, and how things move to different uh, areas in this particular uh, area that we're talking about. Now, the city of Jezreel, it's situated, as I said, here near this valley. It's between Mount Carmel and the sea to the Jordan River. And Jezreel is also called along with the, this valley of here, the Jezreel city also is in that same estrion. Uh, we think about the, the town where Jesus was born, the city of Nazareth. City of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, just on the north side of Jezreel. So once again, things that are very close by. These are some of the points of interest that I found uh, in that particular area. The Jezreel Valley, of course, the mountains of Gilboa. 
Do you remember what happened in the mountains of Gilboa? Very significant. Uh, it was a place where King Saul and his sons were killed by the Philistines. So that's nearby as well. Now, also there's a mount called Mount Tabor. And Brother Danny will be getting into the study of, of mountains, and that's going to be good. I'm looking forward to that. Mount Tabor is likely the place where Jesus was transfigured back up into heaven. So, uh, you know, I only can go by what, what I've read, what I've seen here. I don't know if that's the exact place, but it, it's very likely they, they feel like in studying that where the place of the transfiguration of Jesus. And Gideon Spring is nearby. Gideon Spring is what will uh, a place where God chose 300 men to defeat all those thousands and thousands of Midianites. And we'll talk about that battle because it is very significant and has some good uh, things in there about that I want to get, try to get to today. Beth Sheen is nearby. That's where the place where the, those bodies of King Saul and his sons were hanged after the Philistines killed them in battle. So this particular valley hill was once a scene of a striking victory under the uh, guidance of Gideon and the Israelites that he had with him. And they had a battle over the Midianites, over the Amakites, and the children of the east. So he's going to get some scriptures there up on the screen, and I want to look at those. Judges chapter 6. And we'll begin at verse number 33 because, as I said, I try to find the place in the Bible when I, where we see these valleys named so you'll be able to know that uh, they are right there in the Bible. Verse 33, Then all the Midianites and the Amicalites and the children of East were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. So this valley is getting ready to be all set up for a big battle that's going to take place. And I want you to kind of get in your mind, the Scriptures give us a good picture of how many people are involved in this thing on both sides. Verse 34, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. So what, what we do in, these, in this particular day and time, you don't have a cell phone where you pick up and call, call your other leaders and captains. But he blows a trumpet, and this uh, Abiezer, he hears the trumpet, knows that it's Gideon calling him, so he comes to him. That's what it means, gathered after him. He comes to him. And then he sends messengers, in verse 35, throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him, and he sent messengers unto Asher, unto Zebulon, unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. So they got the message out to these tribes. And they, they said, hey, you know, y'all need to come. We're getting some, some things together for a battle. Gideon's got some things he wants to tell us. So y'all come and we'll we'll get this whole plan put together. Now we find as verse 36, Gideon's going to have a conversation with God. Now, that's always a good thing to do. 
And so he's going to get counsel. He's going to find out where God is standing with him in this particular battle. Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it shall be, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. So what, uh, what Gideon is doing here is what we call a sign, and he's putting out a fleece. A fleece would probably consist of a whole sheepskin. And I know we have the words floor here, but it would, they would have, he would have a place cleared out there in the ground. And he'd spread out that sheepskin on the ground. And then, of course, what he was knowing was going to happen was, as night fell, that heavy dew would fall on everything, make everything wet. But Gideon said, I'll tell you what I want to do is put this sheepskin fleece down, and with everything around it wet, I know, God, that you're in this. I know that you, you're going to help me through this if I get up in the morning and that fleece is all the way dry. You know, that'd have to be a miracle from God. That'd have to be God. The dew would be all around, but how would that stay dry? So uh, he, he knew that that, uh, that would be something It would be dry and, and it would work it's going to work opposite ways too if the ground is dry and the fleece is wet then he knew God was in that as well so in this particular case he's saying the dew be on the fleece only and dry on the earth then he says I know that you're in that so what happened it was so that he rose up early on the morrow in verse 38 and thrust the fleece together, and guess what? He could pick the fleece up and wring a whole bowl of water out of it. But the ground was completely dry. So he knew that that, that was something. I also found interesting about the fleece. They say that sailors in the ships would take these fleece and hang them on the side of the ship overnight. And in the morning, they gather those fleece up off the ship and wring those out and have fresh water to drink. So they would use those as an opportunity to have, have water as well. But in this case, of course, Gideon was looking for a sign. And then verse 39, it said, Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once, but uh, let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let it be due. Gideon was very bold to turn around and ask the Lord to do, do this again. However, I believe in studying that, it wasn't that Gideon didn't believe because of the first sign, but I think because of those men that he had called in with him, those around, he wanted them to see it this time. He didn't, he didn't want them to just take his word for it, but he said, I want you to see if I turn this thing around and ask God to go the other direction, it'll still take place. And it did. 
You know, not long ago, I heard of someone who, who was trying to make a decision whether they wanted to be a part of, a, of our church. And they said, I want to put a fleece out before the Lord and see if that's going to, uh, if, that's, if that's the case. Well, I got news for that person that God doesn't work with fleece anymore. That, that's not something that, that, that does today. A lot of the Old Testament things changed as time went along. And those customs, those things were done at that particular time. We move into different areas now. We're living in the age of grace now. We're living in a place where we can trust God at His Word. We have His Word. We know what it says. And we, can, we have the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us and convicts us. So we don't have to spend time putting out a fleece. Uh, so, but in this particular case, he certainly did that. And the result, verse 40, and God did so that night, and it was dry upon the fleece only, but there was dew all over the ground. So he certainly got the answer that he was looking for, and now Gideon will be able to proceed uh, in this battle. So let's move to the next chapter, chapter 7 and see what happens here. Then Jeruboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many, for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. What is he saying to Gideon? He's saying, Yeah, you're ready now. You know I'm going to be with you. I just showed you the sign. And so what has he done? He's gathered his army together, and the Lord says, You got too many. Why? Because when the battle would be fought with all these thousands of men, then they could stand back and say, well, we won this battle because we had all these powerful men and we fought hard and we did that in, in, in our own might. And the Lord wouldn't get the glory for that. I think today the lesson in there that spoke to me was we don't have to rely on how much we know, how much we can prove, how much we can do, we have to rely on the Lord. Not by my might, not by my power, but by what? The Spirit saith the Lord. So it's not what we do, it's what God does. And many times we think about something we're going to face and we're thinking, how am I going to do it? How am I going to get through it? How am I going to prevail over it? And that's too many eyes in that. And it should be, I'm trusting the Lord. He's going to work through it. He's going to, he's going to uh, bring the victory. And so this is a lesson that Gideon's going to have to learn. Too many, he said. Verse 3, Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So he says, just go to your army and say, right now, you know what? I know some of y'all guys are drafted in here and y'all have to fight this battle. But listen, maybe your heart's not in it. 
Maybe you're scared to death. You're not going to make it back home. And you just, you just wish you wasn't here. So for all of those who feel like that, you got a free pass to head on back home. And look how many returned. It says that after that took place, 20 and 2,000, and there remain 10,000. So he goes from the number that he had, 20 and 2,000, and then when all of those left, 22,000 of them, 10,000 remain. Well, that's a bunch, of, that's a bunch going back, isn't it? But 10,000 men's a lot of men. But wait till you see what's on the other side. And maybe Gideon's thinking, well, this is good. I still got 10,000 men here. We can still take care of this battle. But look what the Lord said in verse 4. The Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them for thee. That means he's going to prove them. It shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee. The same shall go with thee. And of whomever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee. The same shall not go. So he brought down the people to the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shall thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. So he says, you get all these men down here, 10,000 of them, down to the water to drink. And those that fall down flat next to the water and just start drinking like a dog, lapping it up. Those that even get on their knees and just bend over, drink the water. You set those off to the side. You get them off to one area. You know, what, what is taking place here? When, when you fall down to the water, to lap water, all your focus is down. You're looking at the water. You're lapping the water. Anything else that's happening around you and behind you, you have no idea. And to remember that along these rivers were many crocodiles in these rivers. And just like you've probably seen on nature series, when the animals go down to drink water many times, they're down there drinking water, and next thing you know, bam, that mouth comes up and grabs them. Because they, 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 they have no idea they're down there. They're not looking to that. They had to watch out for that too. But the people that would go down, scoop that water up in their hand and drink, they're still able to look all around. They're still able to know what's happening around them. These are the, these are the people that are paying attention. And, and as I was studying in that and reading in that, even many times as these soldiers would fight in battles and they would get alongside the river, they're fighting, they're running, they're thirsty. They would actually keep running and reach down, scoop up the water and drink like that while they're still, still fighting the battle. So they still know what's happening around them. They no fear of any crocodiles getting to them because they're just scooping the water and gone. So it made a very good uh, observation 
uh, to Joshua, I believe, to see what's going on here. <clears throat> and then after this took place, it says in verse 8, so the people took victuals, that means they took food with them, <clears throat> in their hand and their trumpets. And he set all the rest of Israel, every man, unto his tent. So out of 10,000, he sent the rest back home again. And there retained 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. So he's gone from 32,000 to down to 10,000, and now he's down to 300. So the Lord is really getting the picture across to him, you know what, I'm the one fighting the battle here for you. If you were able to win this battle with 300 men, you know the Lord was in it. The Lord did it. Now, here's what happened. It came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise and get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thy hand. But if thou fear to go down, go with Pura, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say afterwards, and all afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then he went down with Pura and his servants unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. So what is he saying to him? He's saying, what I want you to do now, Gideon, is go down close to where this enemy camp is at, and I want you to take somebody with you, and you get within hearing range and you listen to what's going on because they're going to say something that I want you to hear. So that's what he did. In verse 12, And the Midianites and the Amakites and all the children of the east lay among the valley. And this is why the picture of how many of them was. Like grasshoppers for multitude, their camels were without number as the sand of the sea of the multitude. We're not talking about a handful, even a thousand or two or three or four. We're, we're, I mean, when it describes how much they are numbered, and here Gideon's then brought his number down to 300. There had to be some faith going on there, didn't it? Some trust in the Lord. But this is what he did. He's in a hearing rain and he hears this conversation. Verse 13, Gideon, when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellows. So a man inside the enemy's camp is telling this to someone else in there. I've had a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into the tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it, and the tent lay alone. And the fellow answered and said, There is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all of the host. Like, how did you get, how do you get that from that, that dream? Well, you got to realize that in those days, just like remember with Joseph, they would dream dreams, and then there would be someone that would interpret those dreams. So here's a story about a dream that's probably taken to the captain, king, or whoever of that army. and said, listen, I got this guy that dreamed this dream last night, and it's a really strange thing, and he's, he's upset about it. He really can't, he can't sleep no more until he tells you about it. So he tells him about this barley cake of bread that rolls in here and 
and burns down the tent, knocks it over, and so forth, so on. And so the interpretation is that this is none other than the hand of Gideon, the sword of Gideon. Gideon is going to do this. And this dream, what it amounts to, as far as them understanding what has taken place here, it's like a cake of rolling fire barley bread rolling down the hillside, rolling right into the most powerful tent, the biggest tent, knocking it over, burning it up, turning it upside down, and saying, you know what? Something's going to happen to us. Gideon's going to get a hold to us. And so this, this dream really is, is, is going to take place. To, and they're going to be able to understand what's happening here. So it says in verse 16, he divided the 300 men into three companies, 100, 100, 100. Put a trumpet in each man's hand, an empty pitcher, and lamps within the pitchers. How are you going to have a weapon with all those things in your hand? You're not really going to. What strange weapons, isn't it? But so it's the things that God is going to use. Aren't you glad God can take whatever we have and use it for His honor and glory? He don't have to, we don't have to have all this stuff. We just have to be available to God. And He will turn it around and, and make it great and use us if, we're, if we uh, say, I want to be used of you, Lord. Let you use the things that I have. And this is the instructions that he gives. Verse 17, he said, Look on me and do likewise, and behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be as I do, so shall you do. You just watch what I do. You follow me and do exactly what I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then you blow your trumpets also on every side of the camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came to the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set watch. They just got there, got in place. And he blew the trumpet and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And then the other three companies blew their trumpets, broke their pitchers, and held the lamps in their hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal, and they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Can you imagine that noise of 300 trumpets and breaking pitchers, and then the enemy looking up and seeing all these lights on the lamps? They were totally confused. They, they didn't have no idea what was happening here. Verse 20, and the three companies blew their trumpets and break the pitchers, and held their lamps in their left hands, and the trumpets in their right hands, and blow with all, and they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. They didn't rush in. Got to remember the thousands and thousands of people that are there. It's not like circling a little camp. And they only have 300 men, so they got 300 here, and 300 here, 300 here, but there's an area back here where the enemy can escape. And they stood in their place, and the three hundred blew their trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host, and the host fled to Bathsheba and to Zeron and to the border of Amaloth and of Taboth. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Natali 
and out of Asher and out of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. They didn't have to have swords raised up. They, they, they were just pursuing after the enemy. Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters of Bethbara and Jordan. And all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters of Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they slew in the wilderness of Zeb, and pursued Midian, and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. What a victory took place. And it was all because God was in it. God took all of those 300 men and used them to win this battle. Many years ago, this land between uh, this, the areas that we talked about this morning, they have changed even after the battle. Two centuries after this, the Israelites were here were defeated by the Philistines. Saul and Jonathan, the army of Israel, they fell. And, and in 1 Samuel 31, look at verse number 1, the Philistines fought against Israel. The men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain at Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard after Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malshia, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he, he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto the armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therein. Least these uncircumcised come to thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was so afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armbearer saw that the Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died there. And Saul died, and his three sons, and his armbearer, and all his men that same day. What would happen with a king was they didn't they knew that, that they were going to die. They knew that, that things were going to turn bad. And they didn't they didn't want the armor, they didn't want the enemy to kill them. So they would ask their armor bearer or someone with them to, to thrust the sword through them. And that's what he did. But in fact, on Wednesday nights, we're talking about David and, and we'll, we'll touch on this area. Uh, David dealt with some of those men when he found out about Saul. He, he, had, he had strong conversation and conviction about how they handled that situation and what they did. But uh, some of the other things that that took place in this area too as well was the wife of King Ahab, Jezebel. You probably remember reading about her, hearing about her in the Bible. Uh, she died and was thrown from the window of Jezreel's palace. Her body was eaten by dogs. <laughs> Very violent thing that took place there. There's a lot of violent history in this, in this particular a book of kings and, and judges and so forth through this area of Jezreel. So Jezreel had a long, violent history. Naboth was murdered in Jezreel because he refused to give King Ahab his vineyard. 
He refused to give it up. He said, it's mine. I work for it. I'm keeping it. And he died because of it. King Ahab's sons were beheaded and their heads piled at the gate of Jezreel. Jezreel was also the scene of many biblical battles. Deborah's victory over Caesarea. And the Israelites, what we talked about today, they had victory over the Midianites, the Amicalites. Saul and Jonathan's defeat at the hand of the Philistines in this area. Um, Egypt's victory over King Josiah in this area. So it's so interesting to see as you look at these valleys and, and think about all these things that have taken place all around it. But I'm so thankful that, that God was in control and is in control and He's able to take care of the enemy today for us. And I think the lesson that we really see here in this, in this uh, Judges is that uh, the battle is the Lord's. And we don't have to worry about what we can do to win the battle. We have to give it to the Lord. And He will take care of that. So a beautiful Jezreel Valley. Beautiful farmland now. Growing wheat, cotton, corn, sunflower. You'll find sheep herding, cows, cattle grazing out there as well. But it is a beautiful place. Some of these places, of course, in the Holy Land, you're not able to get to. You know, Pastor talked about it in the prophecy message. Some of them have been divided up and under control of someone else. But one day, they'll have all that belongs to them. All their land will, will be back to them for sure. But if, if you're able to go to the Holy Land and see some of these wonderful things, it really, when we talk about it and read it in our Bible, is one thing. But when you're able to go and look at it and see it and imagine exactly the place where these things taking place. It's, it's a great, great lesson and wonderful to learn. So that's the Valley of Jezreel. And we hope you enjoyed it today and some of the stories that are connected with it. And uh, of course, uh, General Gideon was a, was a good man. He, he certainly relied upon the Lord and the Lord used him uh, to win many battles. You listen to Pastor David Kogel. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.